On episode 6 of Taxpayer Talks, we get into the legislative priorities that taxpayers should be concerned with when it comes to the Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick's list. We get into some pro-taxpayer legislation that was filed this week in the Texas House of Representatives and the upcoming State of the State Address by Governor Greg Abbott. Let's get into it. Taxpayer Talks is brought to you by Texans for Fiscal Responsibility and is made possible by generous donations from listeners like you. If you want to support our work, you can visit texastaxpayers.com slash donate to make a tax-deductible contribution today. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Taxpayer Talks. My name is Tim Harden, president of TFR, here with our executive director, Jeremy Kitchen. How are you doing today, Jeremy? Doing okay, man. Doing all right. Well, so we we had more of an eventful week this week than we have in the past. Quite a quite a few things happen. We're recording on Wednesday, of course, and uh, tomorrow evening, Thursday, Abbott's going to have his state of the state. We had some bills filed, and uh, Dan Patrick actually introduced his legislative priorities. Those first thirty bills. Why don't uh, why don't you kind of talk about the priorities and and what we saw in those thirty bills in the Senate? Yeah, so he announced 30 priorities. He made sure in his announcement to tell everyone that just because they don't have a, that, you know, just because maybe they aren't included on his list of 30, he still is prioritizing other ones, right? Didn't necessarily say what those other ones were, but uh, uh, but he he released a list of 30. It's important to also note here that out of the 30, only last I checked, only one of them has actually been filed. Uh, lawmakers have until the bill filing deadline, Friday, March 10th. Uh, to do so. Um, SB1 is the budget, uh, right? And that was one of his priorities. It's SB1 through 30. Uh, but of course, the House is actually who, who starts with the budget this cycle. So it's just the Senate-based budget, and it kind of helps the deliberation, right, between both chambers as they go. Uh, for our purposes, I think the things that may be kind of uh, on his list of 30, and I implore people to go check out the article if you're interested in the actual 30, a uh, uh, list of 30. But for our purposes, I think the ones that are important Right, you have SB 30, which is like the supplemental budget. So for those that aren't familiar, that will be kind of like to make up the difference between what they budgeted last cycle, right? And now, um, if there's any uh, necessity to do so. Um, and then of course you've got, I think it's SB 3, SB 4 and SB 5, Senate Bill 3, Senate Bill 4, Senate Bill 5, uh, which all kind of deal with property tax related um, sort of stuff. SB4 is an interesting one. I believe it's SB4 because it talks about additional property tax relief, but because we don't have a bill, we don't exactly know what that means, um, you know, or if the, if there is additional property tax relief to be had on top of what they allocated already in the base budget, we don't know the amount uh, yet. So um, certainly uh, implore people to go check out the list. I, the only other thing I would note here um, that I thought was interesting is that Lieutenant Governor did not have in his top 30 priorities, SB 1 through 30, a ban on taxpayer-funded lobbying as he has in the past. Of course, that's a legislative priority of ours, um, obviously, as an organization. So it doesn't mean he won't necessarily do anything with it, uh, but it is not in his top 30 list, which I thought was interesting. So yeah, you know, I think, you know, we've mentioned this before, you know, although it's been a priority in the past, I think this year, you know, it's just kind of been drowned out by all of the other things they're dealing with the border and, uh, you know, election integrity and gender modification and, you know, everything else that's going on. Um, so I, I don't necessarily think there's certainly not the 
the will to do it from you know voter standpoint the question is is there a will to do it this session from the legislator standpoint it's looking less and less likely of course Mays Middleton has the strong bill in the Senate we will see if he's able to make progress with that I think the only other thing I saw is um, he uh, is pushing a parental rights education or you know quote unquote school choice bill and so that is in uh, Patrick's top priorities uh, this is something that he's alluded to and kind of made contradictory statements on in the past uh, but also said that him and Abbott have agreed upon uh, a bill that would take care of rural districts uh, we have yet to see the bill it has not been disclosed yet uh, but as soon as we do uh, we will certainly be letting everyone know uh, there's there's been some some exciting things in the house as well uh, I wrote an article this week on Representative Harrison, he uh, made a tweet and kind of had a thread that talked about two property tax reforms uh, that he uh, is making, and they're actually really excited. One of them is something that we literally just passed out to uh, to legislators last week in our one pager, and that's a local reform that would essentially move the voter approval rate, which is the maximum they can raise your taxes uh, without triggering an election, down to the no new revenue rate, which is essentially the rate in which their uh, tax revenue neutral, right? And so basically no, no new taxes, essentially, no extra dollars coming in, uh, which is a wonderful reform. Uh, we're in need of a lot uh, on the local level, uh, but we're really pleased to see him with that. The other one kind of uh, works with that, and it's essentially, uh, you know, governments cannot raise taxes uh, without a 60% majority. So he's just upping that threshold, making it a little higher uh, to make it more difficult to raise taxes on folks. And so these are both two really good reforms. I'm really excited, especially about that first one. We think it's an awesome reform. Like I said, it's something we're uh, making a priority. Uh, and so glad to see him file both of those pieces of legislation. Yeah, we've seen a lot of good stuff so far come out, uh, come from Harrison, at least filed, right? Obviously, we're early on in the session, so who knows whether these things have a chance or don't, but I'm glad they're a part of the discussion, as you alluded to, right? Uh, certainly, kind of curtailing local government spending um, is a legislative priority of ours. We think this is a great way to do that, right, to make the threshold higher for voters uh, to approve this sort of thing and to always bring it to the voters in the event they want to spend a penny more than they did the cycle before. So I think these are great. These are good government, if there's such a thing, uh, bills, right, um, and certainly increase the transparency and accountability uh, for taxpayers. So uh, we're hopeful, obviously, these things will start to move through the process. Those, by the way, it's House Bill 20, uh, 2220, House Bill 2221, for those uh, that are interested, um, authored by State Representative Brian Harrison. Yeah, I had uh, I had the pleasure of sitting down with him a, a few months back and just kind of picking his brain. And he's an exciting guy. You know, so far he's done a lot of really good things. Of course, uh, I always reserve judgment. And I know you too as well, uh, Jeremy, because we've been through a number of different sessions uh, until session is over. Uh, but he seems like he's making really good decisions. He looks like he's being taxpayer friendly. So we're excited to see what he is going to do this session. Uh, there's another uh, bill uh, by Representative Kane, a taxpayer champion. You wrote an article on it. Jeremy, why don't you explain what's going on with that? Yeah, sure. Representative Briscoe Kane, right, member of the Freedom Caucus, um, a TFR taxpayer champion, obviously authored a bill that also deals with our legislative agenda. Um, it's House Bill 2258, and ultimately what it would do is impose a spending limit on city and county level local governments uh, to ensure um, that they can only grow, right, their, uh, their spending by the same rate as population and inflation rate increases are. You know, this might sound familiar to some because the state also has this kind of self-imposed uh, 
spending limit that they just instituted, I guess, last cycle. Uh, finally, it's a taxpayer win. Um, but uh, this, you know, I think the mentality is, is that if the state has to uh, abide by specific spending limits, local governments, which are manifestations of the state, should absolutely do so as well. I think it's a good way to uh, try to curtail, again, local government spending. Um, you know, as we talk about these things from a 30,000 foot level, we can't hope as Texas taxpayers to address things like property taxes in a way that's actually effective if we don't also simultaneously address local government spending. So... Yeah, I think uh, I believe you wrote the article uh, not too long ago talking about just the massive amount of local debt uh, that we have. You know, this is mainly in bonds. Uh, but, you know, this reform, I would regard at least as probably our most important local uh, revision because, you know, by capping them, they've they've essentially been, you know, Un uncapped, right, as far as what they can spend. And so what this would actually do is the same thing it is doing on the state level, which was eventually produce surpluses, right? And, and we can use the same exact method on the local level that we're using on the state level, which is using surplus dollars to lower taxes, to pay down and compress rates. And so this is a, a very important uh, reform. I hope uh, uh, Representative Kane makes some progress with this. I'm interested to see who's going to sign on to this. Uh, but like I said, I think of the of the three, I think we we did uh, MO freeze, right? We have the the approval rate down to the no new revenue rate. And then we have the uh, the cap uh, population plus inflation. So two of the three have been filed and they're filed for some good representatives. So really excited to see where these go. Uh, and when they get hearings, of course, we will be covering them as well. Uh, we also have uh, State of the State coming up. Jeremy, you want to talk about kind of what, what we expect to see? Sure. Yeah. So uh, Governor Greg Abbott, right, will be, uh, he is scheduled to give his State of the State address on Thursday evening, uh, I believe 7 p.m. Um, so you can find that on your local news televised. You can find it on various websites, what have you. We've linked to it on our website um, if, if, if anyone's interested there. But ultimately what that is, is this kind of like speech directly to Texans for those that tune in, right, where Governor Abbott is expected to kind of give his vision, if you will, for not only the legislative session, but beyond that. Um, and he kind of enumerates um, an unknown number, right, of agenda items, things that he deems as emergencies. The important kind of ceremonial aspect of that is that when he does that and kind of does his official declaration as such shortly thereafter, that allows technically lawmakers to actually start the legislative process on bills that do as much, right, that, that are, that are uh, specifically related to those things. Um, depending on the session you looked at in the past, sometimes lawmakers have jumped on those things. Sometimes they haven't. Last session, they didn't move at all on Abbott's uh, agenda items until after the 60th day. Now, of course, as a reminder, the 60th day, which is also the bill filing deadline, is important. That's uh, March 10th uh, because that currently is the deadline by which lawmakers can't consider any legislation in the process. They can only file bills um, at this point. And so Abbott's going to lay out his um, emergency agenda items, if you will. Technically, lawmakers can can start the process for those things. It's unclear as to whether they will do that quickly or not. Um, but you know, as uh, what for taxpayers, we should certainly expect that a lot of the things that Abbott has talked about over the last few months, really the last year or so. Um, hopefully, you know, those will be named as emergency items, right? Um, the way, the best way to think about this, at least the way I think about it in my head, right, is that Abbott has, as governor, obviously the bully pulpit, right? And so he kind of controls the narrative on a lot of these things as they're talked about, not only from his 
office, but just generally the overall political narrative in Texas. And so as taxpayers, obviously from our organization, we want him to make sure he enumerates not only um, you know the need for, as he called it, the largest or biggest property tax cut in Texas history, but also reiterates, right, continues to bolster the argument that uh, he wants to put Texas on a path to eliminate, specifically eliminate the school maintenance and operations portion of the tax, both of which he said previously. So um, I think that's what we'll be watching out for, among a few other things. Yeah, I agree. I think that's what I'm going to be keying in on uh, is whether or not he comes through. As as many of our, our listeners know, uh, we have played that video clip ad nauseum uh, of him in his debate with Beto uh, saying, basically, listen, my goal is to eliminate school property taxes so people can own their home. That's the exact quote. So we assume by school property taxes, he means M&O. This has been the major talking point by most organizations, ourselves included, TPPF among others. And so what we want to see is a path towards elimination. Abbott has made statements in the past, even years back, basically saying that, listen, if you're paying property taxes, you don't own your home. And so we would like to see him consistent with that rhetoric. And so, yes, we, we will absolutely cheer if he gives us the biggest historical tax cut in Texas history, a property tax cut in history. However, we are wary that I'm sure he's probably going to use that $15 billion number, which we'll, we'll talk about. He had a little a statement at a, uh, that, that was tweeted out. Um, but as our listeners once again know, the $15 billion is not a, a real number. So it's using 5.3 in old compression. And so we have to continue, uh, once again, to hold him accountable. And if they want $15 billion, in compression, they're actually going to have to add 5.3 billion more in compression. And so I'll be interested to see how he kind of spins this or how he kind of pitches that largest a tax cut in history is property tax elimination going to be in the state of the state uh, when he is talking about this. And I'm interested to see what he has to say in school choice as well, because it's just been this big mystery. We know it's going to be in the form of ESAs, uh, but, you know, Patrick previously saying they're going to bracket out rural districts and then coming back and flipping and saying, oh, actually, Abbott and I have a solution. Um, what is that bill going to look like? Is it going to infringe on homeschoolers? Uh, we just don't know. So I'm interested to see if he, he gives us a little light on what that bill is actually going to look like. Uh, so very, very big night on Thursday. Uh, and we uh, we will see. As you see, the, the emergency items, uh, the, there's a thousand ways for bills to die. The main way they die is time. And so getting extra time and being able to start on some of these is very, very crucial to making sure they actually, uh, you know, pass the finish line. So um, we'll be paying attention. Of course, we'll be reporting on everything he says as well. The, the only other thing I note here, right, is that we do not, and historically hadn't really manifested this way, but we do not have like an explicit list from House Speaker Dade Phelan as to his priorities, right? Now, in fairness to, to that, I mean, in the House, it's hurting 150, right, cats, and so, so it's a little bit different. Last session, uh, Speaker Phelan held, I think it was two or three press conferences where he kind of, it was kind of divided by subject, right? One was based on criminal justice reform, another was based on healthcare. Um, I imagine we'll get something similar this cycle, but um, he, to my, you know, to my knowledge, didn't necessarily uh, release like a, an explicit list like that of, of Dan Patrick. I don't think you'll hear specific lists like that of obviously the governor's on Thursday. And so it's a little bit more difficult to kind of follow uh, what the priorities are of the House. Obviously, those are made clear as the session, right, kind of progresses. Um, but it's, it's slightly different in the House uh, for unknown reasons. Uh, so, you know, just I would just implore people to stay tuned as, as we track that sort of stuff.
Yeah, of course. Uh, we we had some really interesting tweets this week, so let's take a look at a, a few things we saw in the Twitterverse uh, and and share some thoughts. Yeah, so here you have uh, you know Vance Ginn, right, a PhD economist, obviously a research contributor to our organization, right, uh, tweet out something that we've kind of we've certainly known right over the course of the last few years, really since 2019, since this kind of alleged historic property tax you know reform slash relief effort was really spurned into place. Uh, but I thought this was interesting, right? You had Vance Ginn basically say that you know now that that house uh, senate bill 2 house bill 3 from 2019 has kind of completely come to um to come to the surface uh you know they didn't really drop property taxes right in fact school property taxes that portion increased 13.4 percent in this last year you know and um, i think that's as he points out that's higher than that 2.5 percent you know growth limit that they instituted and uh yeah i think what he's really pointing out is that the the slow the growth strategy that lawmakers have used not just the last few years, but really over the last few decades, right? Republicans have been control of the, of the legislature for that long. Um, has it really worked, right? Property tax burdens for the for for almost all Texas taxpayers that I know of, people that pay property taxes have not gone down. Um, and so, you know, it's we can't really claim victory on this subject as they try to do every legislative cycle when all you're really doing is just kind of chipping away at the amount, but they're still growing. Um, and so I'm hoping you know that they use this as an example a lot of content we've written a lot of the organizations that are kind of in general lockstep on this this cycle to really say okay what can we do at the state level to curtail this obviously we talked about some of that earlier um, and it's something that's part of our texas prosperity plan our legislative priorities but hopefully lawmakers and i think they are right are starting to feel the heat a lot more than previous as to they've got to address this somehow yeah, I think just just kind of backs us up as an organization, something we've been saying for over a year. You know, they've been trumpeting uh, the 2019 property tax, historical property tax cuts in the most conservative Texas, you know, session in Texas history. Uh, but the reality is no one is experiencing relief. Taxes are continuing to go up. They were compressing last year uh, as part of that bill. It did not make a difference. School M&O is going up. And so what this tells us and what this should tell them is what they did last go around was not enough to even make a drop in the bucket. And so what is what is the answer? Well, we need to be thinking much, much bigger than $9.7 billion. If my memory serves me correctly, like it was, it was about $5 billion, I think, they, they, uh, yeah, that we're, we're having right now, right? Uh, and we need to be reaching as far as we possibly can to compress rates as much as possible, which means if, if property owners want to actually see some relief, we need to break the spending cap ultimately, uh, because we have about $4 billion extra right now, roughly, that we could add without breaking the cap. But quite honestly, even though we could probably argue without inflation, that gives us the biggest historical property tax cut. The reality is we need to be closer to $20 billion or more to give people significant relief. Uh, the reason they don't want to do that is because that ties their hands down the road, because if they compress rates now, then they're going to be held to that because they certainly don't want to be caught in the next session having to, you know, kind of renege on that and say, oh, well, you know, we're going to allow property taxes to go up. And so they're playing safe by using as little of that surplus as they possibly can. But quite honestly, if they do the bare minimum this session and kind of lie to folks and say, hey, this is the biggest historical property tax well you know maybe we see a little downtick in in property taxes but i think people are going to be over uh, underwhelmed right as to 
how much that actually affects their property tax bills. And so if they were wise, they would take the lesson from 2019 and this big historical property tax reform that did pretty much absolutely nothing. We're already raising homestead exemption increase, which they did last go around. And we're already having to come back to compress rates further because property tax bills continue to go up. And so, you know, this is a good catch by Vance. Absolutely. And of course, I like the fact he's calling out that number, right? They keep using that number, $15 billion, but it's not $15 billion. They're using old compression. They're trying to fluff their numbers to deceive people into thinking that they're giving us a bigger cut than they already are. Uh, and it's it's a shame, quite honestly. You know, that's a perfect segue to this next tweet, right? You had Brad Johnson here at the, the Texan News, right? Um, talk about how at this event, Abbott basically said that, you know, oh, we're still going to use half and alluded to that $15 billion number, right? And to be clear, um, as we've talked about several times, right, in the base budget proposals for both the House and Senate, obviously it's going to start in the, the House this go around, it does include $15 billion in property tax relief. But as we've talked about several times, right, when you dig into the numbers, it's actually not that that amount, right? You know, five, was it 5.3 billion of that is to maintain old compression, right? The, the old relief, the relief that no one has really felt thus far, right? And so really we're talking about what is that 9.7 billion dollars is being allocated to new property tax relief. But more even even so, 3 billion of that is being allocated for this potential increase in the homestead exemption from that of 40,000 to 70,000. And you know, it's not that we're necessarily against the homestead exemption, but as we've talked about several times before, it's frankly a terrible way to address this problem, right? It only it's exclusionary, it shifts the burden, right, to to other taxpayers that maybe don't qualify for that exemption and it almost virtually guarantees that we'll be continually having to do this, right? Having to increase this exemption if we want to offer relief. The far superior strategy, as we've talked about several times before, is to do what's called buying down the low-hanging fruit, which is the school maintenance and operations portion of the property tax. That is actual property tax relief that taxpayers will feel. We have a historic opportunity, as both the Lieutenant Governor and Comptroller have said multiple times, to address that this session with that budget surplus you were talking about earlier. Um, and it's high time lawmakers get on board and you've had a few of them get on board, right? File legislation to do as much. Uh, the question is, is that what leadership in both the House and Senate rally around this cycle? I, I don't know. Oh, it, it certainly doesn't seem like that, right? Uh, it, it certainly seems like they're pretty dead set on pushing this $15 billion number. The only different number I've heard is Garen say $18 billion, we assume. That's because he knows they're probably going to throw another $3 billion on in tax relief. What form does that take? I don't know. I think to your point of, uh, you know, homestead exemptions, uh, this is a gimmick, right? Like, is it technically property tax relief? Sure. But is it going to disappear within a year or two? I would say yes, because essentially, uh, you know, if you don't understand property taxes, our homesteads are, are capped at 10% growth. A lot of us, most Texans experience so much appreciation and value that they hit that cap last go round. And even if you've lost appreciation this go round, you're still going to go up to that cap. Now, if you think about how much we're increasing the homestead exemption, it's we're going from 40K to 70K. That's $30,000. And so on a $300,000 house, which actually isn't even the average in Texas anymore, that's 
So that 10% increase in your that, that cap that they're going to get bumped up is going to be immediately erased by the homestead exemption increase. And so it's basically almost a net neutral for most people in Texas. And so for this reason, it's vastly inferior. It is a gimmick. And what we should be asking for is compression. So any new dollars should compress rates. It's lasting, it's permanent. And this is the way that we're actually going to eliminate taxes property taxes in Texas, specifically the MO this go round. And so any new money uh, should all be compression. We should reject gimmicks like property tax or property uh, uh, homestead exemption increases. And so um, yet again, you know, pay attention. Uh, we will be holding lawmakers accountable. Of course, when they when they trumpet that 15 billion, we should reject it. Uh, I think you rightly said, essentially, this is 6.7, right? You can count the 9.7, but as I just explained, that's going to disappear within a year or two uh, based on, you know, the, the cap uh, and, and increases in appreciation. So um, we will see. We would like to see them break the spending cap just to be just to be clear, right? We want to see them break the spending cap. We want to see them deliver the largest property tax decrease in history, which would be 20 billion roughly in compression. And we want to be put on a path towards elimination. And there's a number of different bills out there that do that. Uh, once again, you know, Abbott's made these statements. We're going to get a lot more from him in the state of the state. So we will see uh, exactly uh, what we're working with here in just a couple of days. Uh, I think that is probably it for us this week. Uh, you know, stay tuned. Look out for our email on Friday. Uh, we will be um, probably putting an article out either Friday or Monday, uh, breaking down the state of the state. And of course, we appreciate you being with us. We will see you again next Thursday. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. For even more content, head over to our website, texastaxpayers.com, where you can find all of our written content, the Fiscal Responsibility Index, and a whole host of resources that can help you navigate the already ongoing 88th legislative session. Make sure while you're there to subscribe to the Fiscal Note and Vote Notices to stay informed about issues that affect your wallet. Thanks.